Welcome to You're Not That Special. My name is Emily. And I'm Sarah. We're two Enneagram 4 INFJs here to talk with you about mental health, eating disorder recovery, and the challenges that we all face. Welcome back to another week with You're Not That Special. Yep. This week, we have the privilege of hearing from Becca and... I'm super excited about the way her path has um, taken her from, you know, she's been passionate about many different things and where her journey has led her to now. So Becca is an advocate and has worked in advocacy in many different areas, but it really stems from the two years of working in child, youth, and family sector of social work. And within that, seeing the importance of advocacy for healing after trauma. She moved from Nebraska uh, out to Denver, and there she has started a chapter of Room Redux. And I would just so encourage everybody to check out the social media for Room Redux Denver. It's dedicated to encouraging healing and improving the lives of children who have faced abuse in their homes through room transformations. Looking at the before and after photos of these rooms is just gives you goosebumps and um, it's so inspiring the work that she's doing. I had never heard of that kind of organization before and I'm just so amazed by it and so inspired and looking through the stuff that they do. It's incredible. Yeah. We'll probably be starting a Lincoln chapter. (laughs) I mean, we're going to have to now. I know, right? Um, But, you know, amazing thing about Becca, before she moved out to Denver, um, she did a lot of work in advocating for mental health education, eating disorder awareness. And she did that through speaking at schools and colleges on these topics, which she'll speak to um, in this episode. All of that was inspired by her own journey through an eating disorder and the lack of resources and understanding that impacted her recovery. She had a keynote presentation called Starving for Perfection, which um, highlighted education around eating disorders and the impacts of social media and how to support loved ones who are struggling. So currently she is um, doing Room Redux Denver and outside of that, She works in higher education and loves to enjoy the outdoor activities that Colorado has to offer. I'd have to say I am slightly jealous of that. (laughs) She's an avid football fan and loves to cook and eat. Um, She strives to live each day by this quote, in this world, one must be a little too kind to be kind enough. I hope that you enjoy this episode with Becca. Welcome, Becca. Thank you for joining us for You're Not That Special. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. yeah. It's a, a privilege to be able to have you on. Um, I mean, so many of the people that we've been able to interview and this more and more, it's a real privilege to get to be on this side of it and to ask the questions and let other people <laughs> share their experience. So we like to start with um, how you would introduce yourself. I would say the helper. I'm Becca Scholar, the helper. That is just who I am in my core. It doesn't matter if it's 
through my job, through a nonprofit, through just like connecting with people or like seeing someone who's trying to take a selfie and being like, can I take a picture for you? It's just like <laughs> what my heart beats for is to make someone else's life a little bit easier and make them feel a little bit more just happy and like supported. Wow. Yeah. Are you an Enneagram too then? Sure am. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That makes so much sense. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Um, how does that show up for you? Like just what does that mean for the things that you've gotten involved in or the work that you've chosen to do? What does um, being a helper kind of look like for you in the day-to-day? Yeah, I think my job is interesting to me because I'm a salesperson, which when you think about helpers and helping roles, salesperson is like not at all what people think about. Um, but I find it really fun because I wouldn't be in this role with this company unless I like really truly believed in the product that I'm trying to sell. And so it challenges me to think a little bit more strategically about that because that is like my job, Mm -hmm. but it helps too, because then when I'm calling people and like trying to set up meetings and stuff, I'm not calling to be a salesperson. I'm calling to say, Hey, I've got this product. I think this would really help out your, um, it's a hiring thing. Uh, your hiring process would love to just hear your thoughts. And I think when I frame it that way, it's easier for me to, again, get kind of behind that role. Yeah. Um, And it just allows me to connect with people a little bit better because I think that comes across that I'm not trying to be a salesy person. I'm not trying to like talk you into something that doesn't make sense for you. I'm genuinely here just to chat and, and help. Um, so I think though, I'm going to switch over from that, that job in and of itself does not fill my bucket in the impact that I'm able to have. So I think that's where I started the the chapter of my nonprofit room Redux Denver that allows me to, I mean, help my community a lot more. Um, but even in my personal life, like I, my phone background is usually like a screenshot of my notes tab of like, okay, who has what going on this week? And like, who can I check in with and send like a quick little, like, how are you doing? Like, I'm just constantly like, what can I be doing? And I know I already said this, but what can I be doing to just like make someone feel supported and loved? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say those three ways. Yeah. When you said, when you said that helping people is what like your heart beats for, that's just, that's a beautiful way to put it. I mean, it just sounds like that is really kind of what drives everything in your life. Like that's incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because growing up, I was never, I mean, like I never had like a tangible talent. I wasn't not good at sports, uh, (laughs) fine in school, but not really book smart person. And that was something I really, really struggled with growing up because I was like, what's my talent? What am I going to do? And I cried to my mom, like all even up and and through college, just being like, I don't even know like what my purpose is, what I'm here for. And she would always be like, you're just, you're the, you're the nicest person. Like you're just, you have a good heart. And I was like, that's not a talent mom. (laughs) (laughs) And It's like, it really is. And it's, I think it's so cool where those non-tangible skills that we have can really turn into your purpose. And that's for sure. Taking me a long time to get there, but now I'm really, I love that part about myself. Wow. And that it's like, that's, so genuine and authentic to who you are like that's what I appreciate it's not something that you're trying to do to earn approval or acceptance or something but that's genuinely just who you are 
Yeah. Thanks. And I feel like too, it's, it's hard for me to talk so confidently about this because I don't want to be like, I'm a helper, you know, (laughs) I don't don't want to come across as non-authentic. So, um, I'm, it's taken me some confidence to build and feel like this my strength without being like annoying about it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, yeah, I get that. But also like seeing that other side of you and just kind of, I mean, knowing you throughout the years, like being able to see that in action, I think is just, it does come across authentic, but you don't have to work to do that. <laughs> uh, well, as you know, the name of our podcast is you're not that special. And I think, I mean, you kind of alluded to this a little bit of that, like feeling in school and stuff and like, or as a kid of not knowing what your talent was, what was special about you, but do you have any of those moments that you that stand out in your mind that you recognize that you're not that special? Um, I think part of it really was, you know, not having that tangible skill. And I think growing up, if you don't have a hobby that you're super into or a sport that you're doing practice for, um, an arts lesson that you're going to, it's really hard to feel like you have a path that you want to go down. And so that really kind of was always kind of a a thought process of like, you're really not that special. And even growing up and into college, you know, I grew up with friends who forever and always, they knew exactly what their plan was. And I'm that person like, even now it's like, I don't even know what I want to be when I grow up and I'm 28. (laughs) (laughs) That made me in a way feel not special, but made me feel like I had maybe an extra hardship to go through Mm -hmm. or, or more to figure out. And what I realize now is a lot of people at this point still don't know what they want to do. And I think I, I surrounded myself with people who had a strong path and that really helped me, but that's kind of an outlier. I think of just like this random group of people that I've grew close with that happened to know what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, in that way, that was a big, you're not that special moment. And I think too, um, and I know we're, we're going to talk about this more, but when you start to go through body image and eating disorder issues as a teenager or even younger, you know, you feel so, so, so alone and you feel mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, no one's going to understand this. No one at all is going to get it. And then you realize so many people get it. And then you're like, well, okay, but but why can't, why isn't this figured out yet? Like, why is no one talking about this? And I think too, that's where it was like, okay, I'm going through this. And I thought this was rare and made me, you know, quote unquote special or, um, needing extra help. But again, it's like, no, everyone feels this way at some point. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's come up with so many conversations we've had with people that, that you're not that special really kind of comes down to like, you're not alone. There's like these things that you're experiencing are not so unique. And so, um, you know, it's not like the universe is like attacking you in this way. It's like, we all like have our things that we're going through. I love that. I love that. Like you're not alone. It's, yeah. I love that kind of mind flip. It's like when you start thinking it's, uh, from butts to ands and like mm-hmm. both things can exist. Um, I really like that. Yeah. Somebody we interviewed, I think a, a couple weeks ago, they're like, your title is so provocative. <laughs> like, yeah, but, and honestly, like the whole, you're not that, you're not alone is not something that we really had the 
connection to until fairly recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm thinking about it, I'm like a podcast named "You're Not You're Not Alone" is just not as yeah provocative as <laughs> special. <laughs> um, but it is nice to know, like having those realizations that we're not the only one going through it, and that other people have been and will be going through what we've been through. Mm-hmm. What have been some, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say what, what is interesting to me and where I got kind of, I almost want to say angry and like what really drove me into to action is that realization like, okay, I'm not this special. I'm not alone. What the heck is happening? Like, why is there not the solutions offered in school in and, and even when I was in high school and college, therapy was very still like, don't talk about it. Don't tell anyone you're going. And I think we've made so many strides since then as a society and just as a culture. But, you, you know, it, it kind of like ticks you off a little when you realize, OK, now what, though? Like, what's, what's yeah, going <laughs> totally. It is like, why is this just silently going on in the background and everyone knows we need to talk about it and address it and yet it's not okay yeah it's not okay yeah so I mean that kind of goes along with some of the hardest realizations that we've had like are there some other realizations that have been hard for you in this journey I think one of the hardest realizations was taking a step back and looking at kind of where this could have stemmed from, like where my body image issues could have stemmed from. And I, it just kills me and destroys me because it came a lot from comments that my mom would make about her body. And I remember so, so, so vividly, we were, she was picking me up from school and at my school at the time, and I was in first or second grade at this point, um, they were starting to put together a Weight Watchers after school, like for mom's like meeting at the school. And I remember my mom talking to her friend and saying, oh yeah, I think I'm going to sign up for this and and do this. And, um, and I, we got in the car and I said, mom, why would you do that? And she was like, I'm, I'm fat. I just, I need to do that. And I remember being so confused because I thought my mom and I mean, still do they thought she was the most beautiful person. She was my everything. And, and then to hear her talk about herself like that was really confusing. And then I remember growing up and after she had kind of gotten involved in, in Weight Watchers, like we had a, a little strip on our, um, cupboard that said a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. Hmm. And so every time I would open up the cupboard to get a snack like that, you know, I would read those or, and hear those things in my mind. And like, I can visualize it perfectly. Yeah. And I think the hardest part is having that kind of switch of this is my mom, but she said a lot of things that, that impacted me. And, and I, if she knew the impact, it would destroy her. And I know that was never her intention, but it's hard when you have someone that close to you that really kind of opened up that mindset. And I think that was a part where I had to spend a lot of time healing that inner child relationship, but then also kind of letting go that resentment with my mom, because she truly is at this point now, like my favorite person in the world. Yeah. But it's, it's a, it's hard when that's kind of where this was rooted from. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm recognizing like it's not about blame or shame, yeah. like because everybody, like your mom, also, you know, every mom has a story and a generation before them that was influential on their life, you know, and peers that influenced them. And it's like, it's just at some point in the cycle, generationally, you know, somebody has to decide, like, okay, this isn't okay. Yeah. I don't want this to continue. Yeah. yeah. It is painful to kind of reconcile that, like, this person is so important to me and they had a negative impact in certain ways on me. Like, it can be really hard to face that and, like, accept it and kind of work through it. And I, it's hard, too, because I know it's something that she still struggles with. And I, and I, as I've grown up and gotten older, as I can put myself in her shoes and know, like, body is so difficult to work through, especially I imagine as a mom, I don't have kids, but I mean, there's just so many other layers that I wish she would have had the the support and the conversations that we have now Yeah, to help mm-hmm. her through that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Having that like compassion and like empathy for mm-hmm. somebody who, you know, has had that impact. I think at least for me too, has made a big difference of like looking at like, okay, if someone had this impact on me, yeah, I wish that they had more resources or I want to understand and think about what has impacted them. Yeah, exactly. I think it's important too that like, it's never too late for those conversations. Like, I feel like sometimes people will be like, well, my grandma does, you know, especially like the older generation of like, well, they're just... too far gone. Like they're they're not going to change, but you know, that it's okay to have some of those conversations and be honest about that experience. Again, not from like a shaming, blaming way, but of recognizing that there's pain and hurt for other people too. And what, and that's not, it's not excusing the impact on us either. Like, I think there's so much, like Sarah said, we have to reconcile in our mind of like, trying to navigate those relationships and conversations and how we move forward while building relationships, you know, healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Are there any like boundaries that you found that you've had to implement in that relationship or like, how do you find to make that a healthier relationship for you? Yeah. I mean, it was hard because up until last year, maybe two years ago, my mom continued to work for Weight Watchers, or I guess now they're WW or whatever their rebranding was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a lot of, you know, still conversations around points and, um, oh, this, I can eat this because it's zero points. And oh, if I'm going to want to eat this later, I'm going to have to, you know, do some more exercise. And it's all very dangerous thought processes for me because those were my disordered thoughts. Right. Um, and so for me, it was, I live far away from my parents. So going to visit is something that like only happens a couple of times a year. And every time I always will talk to my therapist, I'm like, okay, what's my self-care plan? What's my boundaries? If these conversations start turning this way, what am I going to do? And it's something as simple as like, I'll just get up and say, I have to go to the bathroom. And, um, that's something that I feel like is comfortable for me. It's, I'm not a big conflict person, especially if I'm only there for a short amount of time. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, when my mom brings these things up, if I'm feeling prepared and I'm feeling a little bit ready to just say, you know, what if it 
what if you don't count your points? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen if you don't exercise today and eat that cake later and just kind of softly playing devil's advocate. And I think that's a, a helpful way for at least our relationship. Cause yeah. I don't want to come across and be like, well, this, this, and this, Yeah, <laughs> but at least just like encouraging her to think about some other things, but also having that boundary. Like if I'm not prepared for that, if I'm not ready to have that conversation, mm-hmm. I'm just going to use myself and, you know, hang out in the bathroom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Focus on self-care. Yeah. Those are, yeah, those are great tools that, um, and just coping responses that you can utilize in those moments. Yeah. Do you have like pieces of advice that you've gotten over the years that kind of stand out to you as some of the most like impactful in your journey? Um, I would say, and this is not a hot take by any means, but (laughs) I think what's the, the best thing I, I realized and learned and just through conversations kind of piece together is that recovery isn't you cross the finish line and you're done. Um, and that's, that's what I thought it would be. I, I remember I hit my year mark of recovery and like got a tattoo. Like I was like, I did it. Like it was the longest point of recovery that I had had. And then a lot of maintenance has to go into that. A lot of uncomfortable conversations with yourself have to go into that. And I even think, um, Oh my gosh. I think at this point it was like two years ago, Emily, but I had reached out to you because I had developed, I think now it's called parosemia or something after I had COVID Yeah. Yeah. and my smell and taste came back so wonky that everything tasted rotten. And I was realizing like, this is having a very negative impact on my disordered eating and, and I could see myself slipping and I reached out to to Emily and said, Hey, like, can we talk about this? Can you give me some tools? And that was a really, really difficult thing for me to do because the tricky part for me is like, I'm, I'm in recovery. I want to maintain recovery, but if I see like a, a quick little roundabout road that could, you know, that leans into those disordered thoughts. I might take it. I might not stay on that, on that recovery road. And I think just having those tough conversations with myself and having that almost like maintenance aspect Mm -hmm. and knowing it's, and again, not a hot take, but it's not, you know, just a a one way line. It's going to be highs and lows and ups and downs and very cyclical. Um, and I had heard that and heard that and heard that. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you're, when you're in that, I think like further in depth in your recovery, then you realize how true that is. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, that's a great example of like how our health is going to be impacted. I mean, who imagined COVID coming into our lives and then who knew the impact that that would have. And like, it's just those things that we're not in control of. And I think that in and of itself, like we don't have control goes against the notion of what the eating disorder wants, you know, wanted in our life from the get-go um and so just another moment of recognizing I'm not in control um so when health does go sideways a little bit it does come I love the word you know maintenance like there are certain things that we need to do and like non-negotiables that we have to have in order to be able to stay on the track of recovery Mm -hmm. as we navigate whatever the health situation is that we're dealing with yeah what have been some of your proudest moments throughout your recovery journey? I think, 
I think I, I have three, three big ones. Um, the, the first is, I'm going to, I lied. I have four. Um, the first is acknowledging that I had a problem and, and finally deciding to talk about it in therapy. And I, it took a minute when I first went to therapy, it was, I was going under very different, you know, goals to work through. And it was still something I was like really holding those cards close to my chest. And finally I was like, this is not the way I want to live. So I think choosing to, to work on it and, and get into recovery is what I'm proud about. Um, the other big one is, and I kind of talked about this earlier is like that, that anger that I had of there's not resources here. And, and this was me living in Nebraska too. I mean, we know like the resources in Nebraska are not very strong. Um, but that really lit a fire under my butt to be like, okay, well, what can I do to make sure other people don't go through this? And yeah. it was a big, big thought process to have Cause I really, really took it upon myself. Like I'm going to change this. And that wasn't the healthiest mindset for me, but um, I started doing speaking at schools, um, anywhere from like elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, colleges, and adapted my mm-hmm. age for that. And it wasn't so much about what to do if you're struggling with an eating disorder. I, of course, had resources, but where I felt like I was lacking is friends that understood, teachers yeah. that understood, parents. So it was really surrounding how to support someone through this and how to talk to them and how what not to say, what to say, yeah. like that. So I think doing that project and just deciding to start that and see where it went was, is something I'm really proud about. And in that same vein, I got involved with, um, he was the, the Senator for my district, but Adam Moorfeld, and we worked together on a bill to try and get, um, mental health education in public schools. Um, unfortunately it didn't go anywhere, which Nebraska, I guess, um, But again, I felt like I was able to turn my story into actionable items. Yeah. And then again, in that same vein, what I'm really, truly proud of myself about is I had to take a step back and say, is this my right to educate? Is this my right to say these things when I don't have the schooling, the dietary education, the counseling education that people have to truly help people. And I see that a lot on Instagram is the the Instagram coaches and the people who are there to help you get through your, your disordered eating. And I was like, wait, and and I was really, truly going down that path. I was about to, you know, start a blog and start a, a channel and all these things. And I was like, that's not, that's not my job right now. That's not who Mm -hmm. I am. I don't have that knowledge or education to truly support someone. So how can I pivot my, my want to help and my want to help my community, but in a way that I have that right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good, you know, what are my limitations in not just education, but yeah, Yeah. experience and where am I at in recovery? There's a lot of questions to ask ourselves before we go down those paths. Yeah. And I just, I found myself, especially at, at high schools, when I would speak at high schools, I started to have like after the speech conversations with girls that would come up to me and just talk to me about really intense things. And that's again, where I was like, I of course want to help and I'm here to, to talk with you, but I don't have the qualifications to yeah. be your mm-hmm. main person. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I'm curious what your, um, your biggest, like proudest moments are. Do people ask that to you guys as the hosts? Oh gosh. Like, oh, gosh. <laughs> I had a couple of questions. I don't know if I've had that question. Yeah. Huh. Uh, go ahead, Emily. <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot. If you don't want to answer, you don't have to. I was just curious. No, well, I, we have been thinking about like doing this interview between the two of us. Oh. Like, um, so I'm going to have to think about my answers to these questions, but, um, I think, I don't know if this is my proudest, but like one of my proudest moments is because I just moved um, to the same town that my nieces live in. And I remember, um, you know, in choosing recovery, a lot of it, my first niece had just been born. And um, I knew that uh, with good reason, my sister would really be mindful about what kind of impacts, you know, are the people around her having on her. And um, she was really a huge catalyst to um, me choosing recovery. And um, I think because of that, like now I have four nieces and it's, I mean, I get to see them all the time now. I have healthy relationships with them. And just that pursuit of relationship and, mm -hmm putting that above disorder is really, I mean, that's something I'm proud of because I have amazing nieces and I get to be a part of their lives. I love that. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? I think, again, I don't know if this is my top crowd, but this is what I'm thinking <laughs> of right now is like, has to do with maybe some like boundaries and independence. Like, I mean, Becca, like you were saying, like, there's a lot of like people in my family that like had impact, you know, in language around food and behaviors and stuff that used to just rock my world, like none other, like being around it. And mm -hmm. it's something that for so long, like it was so hard to have any space between myself and that when I was around it. And, um, that's just something that over time, like has changed so much and made a really big difference in my recovery. I love that. I think yeah. it's, it's really interesting recovering from an eating disorder because we're the whole, I mean, the, a huge part of it is trying to make ourselves as small as possible and, and have control over that. And then having to flip the mindset of I'm going to hold my space yeah. and hold my own, my own self up is really difficult. It's a really, really hard mind switch. Yeah. Yeah. So what does the space that you have today, um, what does that allow you to do? Like, where is the energy um, that you have invested in? Um, so because I, I pivoted a little bit away, just again, with, with not feeling confident in my education, my certifications to have these conversations surrounding disordered eating, I've now pivoted into Room Redux. Um, and we are just one chapter of many. So this amazing, amazing woman in Texas started the whole thing. Um, but I run the Denver chapter. And what we do is we anonymously remodel the rooms of kids who have faced abuse or trauma in their home. Because, and I know you two know this, but a lot of people don't, is you can go to therapy once, even twice a week as a kid or even as an adult. And if you're going back to the same setting, mm -hmm. the same triggers, the same, you know, mirror on the wall, crack on the door, 
that isn't going to be an optimal healing space. And so we come in, we get our nominations from, um, therapists, teachers. Um, I'm not allowed to say, cause they don't partner with anyone. Um, but we are a referral source for the FBI, which is pretty cool. Um, so wow. we, yeah, uh, we get the nominations and then myself and my room design team, we meet with the caregiver and the therapist and we learn, okay, what do they like? What don't they like? We really, really are intentional about therapeutic modalities that we can incorporate in the room. So um, a lot of punching bags for, for our younger, younger boys. And then we'll always do like a calm down corner, a homework section. And I say we, but I'm very, 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 very bad at interior design. So um, <laughs> design lady does that. She's the best. Um, and then we gather our volunteers. We send the family out for the day. And then we come in, we totally gut the room. And then we just paint. We put in new flooring if needed, new ceiling fans. Um, or new lighting. And then we just, we fill it with not only new things like new materials, but it's just, you leave and it's just joyful. Like you just have put so much good into that space. And we, it's so funny because our first time volunteers always say it, like you show up and it's, it's sad. You're, you're in the setting where bad things have happened to, to very innocent people. Yeah. And then you, as we, we talk and we laugh and we listen to music and we, we change the space, everyone just leaves a little bit sore because <laughs> um, stairs, that's, that's always a doozy, but just lighter. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just been so fun and we do it all in a day. So the, the kids are gone, they come back and it's like I said, all anonymous. So it's completely up to the caregivers on if they want to share who did this. Sometimes it's really healing for them to say, I set this up for you because I love you. And I'm sorry for what happened. Yeah. Other times they like to say there's strangers in the community who love you so much. And they did this for you. So, um, yeah. it is it's a lot <laughs> of, that, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, the best. And it's just something that makes so much sense too. So it's really easy to get people to support our mission, which is just amazing. Yeah. Incredible. I get goosebumps. I mean, I know we've talked about it a couple of times and it's just like, or, um, and we'll share your links, um, to those pages. I would definitely encourage people to check out the social media, um, images of those before and afters because they're really powerful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The environments that you create, um, like you said, for really innocent individuals that have gone through things that they should never have to. Yeah. And it's, it's really amazing too, because the feedback we get either from the therapist or the caregiver, it's not like it's, you know, a couple months down the road, it's a week later. I constantly get phone calls, text emails, like they're sleeping in their room for the first time in years. They're showing up to school and they're energized and they're, they invited friends over and it's just, it's just really, really cool. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if you think so much of like what happens in the subconscious, like within those environments of like, it might not be like, I'm not going to invite my friends over, but that might be just what's, you know, that protective mechanism inside them to changing that environment. And then they want people to share that space. Yeah. And it's, it's cool too. Cause a lot of the homes we go into are, um, I mean, they're lived in, they're, they're well-loved. There's a lot sometimes of, of clutter, just, you know, things get pushed to the, to the side and sometimes upholding your, your home and chores isn't always doable. 
but when they, even the caregivers, when they see the the rooms, it inspires them to let's tackle a closet this weekend. Let's clean up the living room and just opening up the space, even for, for all family members to just grow a little bit and thrive a little bit better too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that you're investing your energy into something that you're so passionate about. I really love it. And I think back to when I was in the the peak of my disordered eating and I would not have the energy to do this. I do this in addition to my full-time job. I lead my, my team. I'm not, like I said, by any means, the only one that does this, I have the best advisory board, but it's work. It's, you know, a lot. And if I wasn't taking care of myself and didn't have the energy to do this, I wouldn't be able to effectively do this. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I mean, and, that's- and like, I mean, just, I mean, we've talked to in the past about how, what the impact of trauma that we go through and that we find ways to respond to that. So as the, you know, these kiddos are having an opportunity to have a more healing environment like we have no idea what that's preventing the work that you're doing like is that preventing an eating disorder yeah is that preventing further mental health struggles um and I think that's what's so cool about it is like we're never going to know the answer to that but I think you can really look at the impact that you're having and know that it's super preventative um and Ultimately, I mean, I wish that we lived in a world of more prevention because mm-hmm. I don't want a career in eating disorders. I wish that that wasn't an issue that existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that we can do to be preventative in the mental health aspect, I think um, that's where you just see the ripple effect of change. Exactly. And I think it's maybe the preventative side is a little bit, and I, and I hate to say this because this isn't like how I truly feel, but a little bit less glamorous of a Mm -hmm. role to get into because you're not seeing the immediate impact, but it's just like you said, it's so, so important and you won't know, you won't know the impact, but you know that there is one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you have like a message either from like your own personal journey of like recovery or just the other experiences you've had that you kind of want to share with our listeners? Um, I would say you can't have recovery if you're not going to be gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. And I say that as a, I am a very type a perfectionist person. And anytime I would find myself slipping or getting into disordered thoughts or starting to kind of go back down that road a little bit, my immediate reaction is, why are you doing this? Like, what is wrong with you? You know, what's going to happen. Like, why, like you've already gone through this. Like, why are you going to, and just like yelling at myself essentially, like, how are you so dumb that you're going to do this again? And that's, that's not a, a happy mindset to have when you're your own partner in your recovery, you Mm -hmm. have to talk to yourself. Like you would talk to your best friend or your mom or your sister or your nieces. And I think that is what's ha- changing that self-talk has really helped catch myself a little bit sooner to have that maintenance aspect because I'm not upset with myself. If I find myself slipping, I'm not feeling shameful. I'm just recognizing this is recovery. It's not linear. How do we get back on track? Yeah. Self-compassion. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a great answer. That's a new answer. I know. I was thinking that too. (laughs) Oh, way to go. Yes. That's huge. Well, yeah. I mean, if we think about, if we're yelling at ourselves, I mean, if anyone was yelling at us, what do we want to like lean in and engage with that or (laughs) run away? Exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Well, gosh, um, as we begin to wrap up for today, um, we have a couple of fun questions that we would like to ask. Um, And I'm curious about the obscure thing that you're good at. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) I have, like I said, I don't have a lot of talents. (laughs) But if I do, it's a weird one. Um, A talent that I seem to have that I'm not a huge fan of is um, I constantly, constantly pick the longest line in uh, the security line at the airport. (laughs) Literally be, and I, this happened to me last week. There were two people in front of me in the line that I picked and it took me 30 minutes to get through there because something broke and then they had to start training someone else. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. How does <laughs> um, so that's one. And then speed reading, I like can sit down with a book and I will be done it in a day. It's wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So I would say those are my that's amazing lines. And <laughs> do you retain it? What you read? Yeah, oh. I do. I, I don't like, I said, I don't know what it is. I wish I wish there was a job where you could just like read books and get paid. I mean, there probably is. Yeah. Um, like but that's... editors and stuff. <laughs> I don't want to like think about it more. I just want to like, be like, yeah, let's not publish this yeah. one. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> like a little book report or something. <laughs> oh my gosh. Those are great. Yeah. Well, I have one too. Um, what is the like most outrageous feature that would be in your dream home? I would say, because growing up, my favorite movie was um, Princess Diaries. I loved that movie. And I thought that I would never achieve my adult goals if I didn't have a, like, fireman pole in the middle of my house. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We lived in in an old fire department. Um, So I would say that. And then I also recently discovered heated floors for the first time I know it's not super obscure that's like just like a bougie thing but (laughs) heated floors in the bathroom I think would be so nice yeah oh I haven't thought about that one before but that is I'm adding that to my mental list yeah Yeah, me too Uh, I uh, stayed at a house once that had those and 100% recommend yeah wow oh goodness well, Becca, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, is there anything else that you want to add before we close today? I don't think so. I just think what you two are doing is so, so cool. And Emily, I know Sage Nutrition has been your kind of baby for ever since I met you. And yeah. so I just think it's it's really amazing that you are seeing the need and being creative about it. And you know, talking to just average people who have been through this and we all have our stories and we all Mm -hmm. have our experiences. And I just think you're doing such important work to say, okay, yeah, you're not alone. And there's a whole group of people who want to help and be a part of the conversation. So I just thank you two for 
making this your mission and, and doing this in, again, a, a climate that's hard, a, a area that's a little tough, a little less open to these conversations. So I'm just so thankful for you too. Mm. That means a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. And um, I mean, I think it just speaks to, we all are going to have a different path and we're all going to have a different journey and but it's all it's going to be different and it doesn't mean that anything is less impactful um or less meaningful to our community like there's different ways that we can have those impacts and so um I would echo those words back to you in terms of the work that you're doing and the powerful impact that you're having thanks you know changing the world yeah <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to share this conversation with our community and um, have them. I want them to go check out um, all the work that you're doing. Yeah, um, we've got some good transformations coming up. Um, So yeah, it'll be our next one is called Shine Bright uh, because the little girl's favorite song is Shine Bright Like a Diamond by Rihanna. So that's our our room name. It's coming up um, in this month at the 18th. So Everyone can and see those pictures. Cool. Okay. Well, we will look forward to those and we'll connect our community with the resources that you um, have. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was so fun. It was so good to see you guys. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.